0: Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are
1: 6.40 Toronto. Great to have you here. It is a Monday morning. Back to a full work week. We were very, it felt very stop and start. If you were a worker, if you were a parent, if you were in between, uh, it was all of that and then some. But I hope you had a great weekend. And I was back and forth to London, went back um, to uh, really honor uh, my wife's mother with uh, a Parkinson's walk. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease disease. In 2005, that was the year after we got married. And it was the year before we became parents. We got right to it. Me as parents anyway. Um, but she's just been amazing and inspiring. And we do the walk with her in uh, Springbank uh, Park uh, every year. In And I'm I, like, it's a remar- remarkable to see like four-year-olds and two-year-olds and people having to put kids on their shoulders. And I'm like, oh, God, that was me once upon a time. But so many people came out supported back to her backyard as well. Played a big cornhole tournament, won the first two games, fell apart. We got a little cocky or something, and uh, and and the old the older folks took us out. The younger demographic didn't fare very well. Uh, we don't practice cornhole enough, clearly. So maybe that's uh, that's the emphasis later on this afternoon. Let me start here. Oftentimes, um, you look for benchmark moments in politics when things kind of shift and things kind of are changing and moving. I don't think that's what happened Friday night at Ford Fest in Kitchener, but I'm not ruling it out. What happened? Well, Ford Fest got organized with Doug Ford and thinking, I'm going to have some friends out and supporters and some other MPPs will show up and uh, friends of the family and we'll do Ford Fest. This has been going on, by the way. I think this was going on when Rob was a counselor and Doug wasn't even in politics. That's how long I remember Ford Fest. I moved back here from the States in 2007, moved up to Toronto. And what is Ford Fest? And then you find out. So they've been doing these things, but not quite with this veracity, if you will, um, and not with this. It's the premier of the province and he's having a barbecue like I, I could I could go back and check my files. I don't remember Harris Fest or Ray Fest or the ever popular McGinty Fest. I don't remember any of that stuff, but this is Ford Fest. So it wasn't just on Friday afternoon around 5 36 o'clock it wasn't just friends and family of the Fords at Ford Fest. no there was a protest there organized by the Waterloo Regional labor Labor Council oh my goodness An organized those organized protesters professional protesters did they get busted no no what I saw is most of them uh, took public transit or they they drove their their own cars but they decided they would sort of make their voices known and make their faces present and get the coverage. And they did that. A lot of signs, Doug Ford, keep your green belt promise, better schools, stronger communities. A lot of people were there to talk about education workers. We were talking about that on the show Friday, how there isn't uh, there isn't a deal yet for a lot of the main education unions. And, you know, I, I think that's a reasonable consideration at this particular point in time. So Ford was supposed to speak about 630, you know, amidst all the hot dogs and burgers. I'm sure the odd person ordered a veggie burger. I don't mean your odd. I just mean percentage wise. You know, and uh, and then there's carnival rides and everything like that. So um, taking your show on the road, if you're a popular premier, shouldn't be a problem. But yeah, this protest showed up and it kind of looked like a bit of a clash. Vehicles weren't able to park where they wanted to park. I saw a couple of black black SUVs with tinted windows and they were kind of siphoned away from where they wanted to go by the protesters and by the police that were there. Um, There were a lot of people talking about, you know, green energy, and there were a lot of people talking about schools, and there were a lot of people talking about the green belt itself. All those things happened so much so that a protester got right next to Doug Ford, and this is the exchange that happened.
2: I look at all the, all the supporters in here, I don't worry about people being bussed in all over the place to Those demonstrate. Those are Ontarians too, Absolutely, I'll you take sh- care of them, don't you worry. You to do a better job of yep. taking care of Ontarians. Oh, we're doing Although a good job, you my friend. we are not doing a jo- good job, no, my friend. Our I schools know, my are friend. underfunded, our That's are Guess underfunded. what That's guess what we do, we my friend. We need to do a better job, you're, you're, Yeah. I understand well, my you my think you're trying to do your best, but you're people in Ontario who yeah. are suffering there are yeah, I know in there Ontario is. Who are suffering. Know there's people that need homes and that's what I'm gonna
1: do okay so there's a lot of back and forth that seemed to kept come keep coming back to homes and housing there was that um, I don't think this party and I don't think this government is in any kind of trouble right now and they have a paved runway that's pretty lengthy next election is probably 32 months away and think about how long a month is in terms of politics. Three months ago, three months ago, we're all wondering: really, can the provincial uh, opposition party, can the provincial liberals? They don't even have a leader. Can can Mike Schreiner, as a solo artist, not part of a band, it's just <laughs> him at the, at the at Queen's Park every day at, in Parliament, in provincial Parliament? Can they make anything of this green belt? Because most people care about the food on the table. They care about interest rates. They care about their mortgage. They want to keep their car. They want their kids going to good schools. They want this. They want that. They may not care who was at Doug Ford's daughter's wedding. I mean, let's be fair. They may not care. And if things are going great for you, if things are going cool day la, they surely don't care. And I went a few different places in the summer, right? You travel in the summer. And I I will reemphasize again, this government and the premier and many of his captain ministers are a lot more popular outside of Toronto and the GTA than they are in it. And they're still popular in it, but they're a lot more popular uh, than they are in uh, in the ri- in, in the riding of Davenport. And they're a lot more popular than they are in the riding of Beaches East York. And they're a lot more popular even than they are in, let's say, Whitby. But outside this protest, I thought it was notable. Here's something else that's going to grab people's attention today. We had Stephen Lecce on the show last week. We were really busy on Thursday. We had several minutes with him, and Stephen Lecce was weighing in on the concept, which other provinces have had to do, about gender and schools and parental information about this. Uh, So kind of parental rights, trans kids, how do you respond What's the battle what are the battlegrounds here? It seems like an intense intense debate and I was having a couple even over the weekend with with great great people close to me, relatives, friends, whomever. And it was for the second weekend in a row I was out somewhere in public and it felt like it was one of the biggest issues. So before I play you this clip, I will denote that there's a lot of people saying, "Ah, oh, there's more important things with schools and class sizes and field trips." I'm like Hey, I can walk and chew gum at the same time, and so can these parents, and so can the provincial government, okay? So um, I know that it ends up being a big issue, and I know it's contentious. Here's what Doug Ford said about parents and school boards and schools and choice when it comes to this kind of thing.
3: Most important is the parents' rights, the parents' rights to listen and make
2: sure they are informed. When their children make a decision. You know, it's not up to the teachers, it's not up to the school boards to indoctrinate our kids. You know, it's the parents' responsibility to hear what the kids are doing and not the school boards. I can't even figure out what school boards do nowadays, by the way.
1: OK, yeah, there's the shot at school boards at the end there, and it's fair to criticize school boards, but it's that that's, you know, a poke uh, and, and the school boards don't get a chance to respond. So here's my thought on the on that quote, not helpful, not helpful to use the word indoctrination and note that Stephen Lecce had a much more measured approach talking about polling, which, by the way, again, there's two arguments here. One, a supermajority of parents. Hold. Say, I'd really prefer that you let me know, and and then we cross that bridge together. Let's not make the assumption that parents are bigots. Let's make not make sure we don't make the assumption. Parents who want to be fully aware and fully engaged can approach that information the right way. They are the legal guardians. They do love their damn kids, and they want to be aware what's happening. They want to know about marks and sports teams, and whether their kid is getting bullied, uh, being a bully. All the rest, and so you'd think something else can't be just, oh, Johnny, this is just our little secret here. Don't tell mom and dad. We can't have that. That might be rare, but we sure can't have that. The second thing is, how do you make political wind out of this? How do you make political capital out of this as time goes on? And I'm not quite sure, not quite sure the opposition parties in this province have figured that out yet. I don't know what the right protections are here. I barely know what the right age is here to talk about the threshold for any kind of a rule. But I do know that Doug Ford didn't help himself with that comment, didn't help himself with the I-word indoctrination. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. It was the morning after the mayoral election, and I was walking past Nathan Phillips Square, and I told people on the air, and I, and again, you're like, who heard it? How many times do you tell the story but I didn't say much about it. Um, I woke a guy up with my stupid loud voice because I was trying to find where our uh, broadcast location was. So I'm talking to the engineer, but it's really early in the morning, right? It's in the it's in the the number is four in front of of the time, not five, not six, four. And I woke a guy up, and he who was sleeping outside Nathan Phillips Square and he was angry and he called me every name in the book names i haven't heard since elementary school in like 1982 i'm like oh we don't use those words anymore and i i was scared there's no question about it and i'm i'm you know again dumb guy here i'm carrying two giant coffees i'm carrying a laptop in a in a backpack and i'm thinking do i ditch everything and run is he going to outrun me because he's up he's fit it's not some old dude it's a guy younger than me and he's ready to go He's ready to go because I, th- I woke him up. I think that's why he's ready to go. But it's just me. And I think I can handle me. And there have been many people across the city and even in the suburbs, clearly, that have had disturbing incidents happen. And our next guest who was in hosting for Alex Pearson last week and uh, ironically ran in that mayoral campaign the night before this incident of mine. Again, it's the most scared I've ever been in any city by myself. There's no question about it. I lived in, in Detroit, okay? I, I, I never, ever had my heart pounding like I did that morning, thinking, is this guy going to make a move or is he just going to shout after me and scream at me? Which he did um, for the next... <laughs> 6 minutes or so. But um but again, I feel like I can handle myself. Our next guest was in the car with his children and his wife when this incident happened on Friday night and he is Anthony Fury. Anthony Fury, it's great to have you on. Um and and Friday night, can you sort of lay out time, place and and the beginning of this incident for us?
4: Yeah, for sure. Good to be here, Greg. So time about 7:30 p.m. Friday night. Place it was the gas station at the corner of Victoria Park and Girard. It's right at the intersection there. I had just finished gassing up the, the car. The, we drive a minivan. We have three kids. And uh, as I'm finishing, you know, putting uh, you know, putting the credit card away, closing the gas cap and everything, I hear a person yelling and screaming walking down the street on Girard. Now, that's very common downtown. Mm-hmm. I used to live downtown. I've told many stories about living at the base of Sherbourne Street, and I'd walk all the way up to Bloor Street to the post-media building, uh, you know, lots of unfortunately troubled people on that stretch, very used to people uh, having a meltdown through mental illness or drug issues. Usually they stick to themselves. So here's a guy screaming obscenities. Okay, whatever. Not too bothered. I go to get in the car and then I notice he's looking at me and he's walking to me and I get in the car and I close the door and I guess every now and then these people do yell at, yell at you as you're passing by, whatever, no big deal. I get in the car, and we're getting ready to drive away. Suddenly, he's right in front of the car. He's yelling, screaming, he's pointing. He's saying, you this, you that, I'm going for you. He charges up the car. He starts hitting it, starts smacking the back. I go, what on earth is going on here? The kids are going, Dad, what's going on? So yeah. go, this is bizarre. I make sure the windows are up. I make sure the doors are locked. And he's smacking it, hitting it. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do that to you. What on earth is happening? I go, i got to get out of here. Also, you don't want to hit the guy. You don't want the incident to worsen. So I sort of slowly start to drive away. And I think, well, he'll probably just then keep to himself and whatever's going on in his mind will have him walk in another direction. No, he starts chasing the car and he's following after us. And we drive away and he's running after us, sprinting after us. And we we just keep driving away because we're in the road, we're in the clear and we see he gets off the road, he gets back onto the sidewalk. The other vehicles are very concerned by it. And we go, okay, well, that was that. But, wow, we don't really experience that. I've, I've never really experienced anything like that in Toronto. I've lived here many years and very used to dealing with troubled people on the street, but that we were just attacked. Do you like think
1: that. he's going to be able to break a window, break a windshield, um, dent the car, make it so the car can't get out of the lot? What were your feelings at the time about the car itself?
4: Uh, I, I wasn't too troubled by it. Because my my main thought was, I'm glad he doesn't have a weapon. That's right. Because he wasn't just, you know, every now and then vehicle passes by and you know someone just taps it or something. No, he wasn't doing that. He was hitting it. He was hitting the vehicle and with intent. And it was just his hand, so he didn't succeed in anything. But if he had had a stick on him, a baseball bat, I don't know. I think he could have certainly done some damage. So I I didn't feel unsafe just because we're in this big van, doors are locked, windows are closed. But I just thought, wow. Like, this is something. And, and, you know, Greg, there's a sense that this is just getting more intense out there, that whatever it is that's going on, the mental health challenges, the fentanyl, whatever put this guy in this position, that we're getting more of that in Toronto. Uh,
1: again, did you size up the man? How old was he? How how large a frame was he? Um, it's the fr- I, I hate saying this. I think it's that macho thing where if we're approached by another man, we're like, could I outrun the guy? And or or, and could I take him if I can't? Those are actually two kind of maybe primal male things that come across. How did you view it?
4: Yeah, but I think from someone who's been walking around down Toronto for many years, you know, that uh, whether it's the drugs or the mental illness, these people don't gauge reality accurately. So I think they're fiercer and pound for pound, they're better, scarier fighters than you. So he was about like a bit younger than me and kind of about my size, but I think he had the advantage in terms of the unpredictability. How
1: did your wife react?
4: Um, you know, people were, everyone in the car was scared and surprised because it's just not again, what you expect. You're used to, unfortunately a person rambling to themselves and, you know, swearing up to the sky and then suddenly turns on you. So it, it took us a moment to realize we were actually in this situation we're like, wow. Like when I got in the car, I didn't get in the car because I was fleeing from him just because I was done filling up for gas. And then I closed the door, and, and suddenly I realized, oh, wait, he had charged me, and, oh, wait, he is attacking the van. So we're sitting there for a moment letting this happen, kind of processing it because it's just unexpected.
1: Anthony Fury is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. And then, again, I talk about primal instru- instincts, and I think females and males instantly think, you'll do anything to protect your kids. You and I've talked about that. We talked about that during the pandemic. We would talk about that with regard to a- any sort of uh, y- your job's to push them out of the moving car, not the uh, out of the way of a moving car, not the other way around. So your first instinct is I have to make sure they're okay physically. I also have to make sure they're not scarred by this incident.
4: Yes. Although one thing, and I heard this echoed by people on social media when I posted this anecdote, one big fear people increasingly have is that they will face legal repercussions for protecting themselves and getting out of a situation if something bad happens. I'll give you an example, it's not an example, but another fear I always had, driving up and down Sherbourne Street to get to my parking garage, lots of people uh, who aren't 100% because of drugs and they're always walking, just in the middle of Sherbourne Street, walking right in front of vehicles. And people have tragically died in those situations. And you're always like, I don't wanna drive down this street because I might hit someone because they've just 100% jumped in front of the car, like zero fault of anyone. And first of all, you don't want to hurt anybody, so you don't want that to happen. You're know, like, I don't want to face, like, what, what does this mean? Like, I want to be in a situation where I've done this to someone. So that's the other concern. You're in this van, so you feel pretty safe in the van, and you're like, I want to get out of this situation. Is this guy going to throw himself under the wheels? And then you're concerned about that as well.
3: What's
1: your like? You you ran for mayor and you talked about safety. You ran for mayor and you talked about, um, you know, safety and security on the streets. It's a message that resonated with a lot of people. And you strike me the one way I think we're, we're certainly similar is I, I don't like to give up on things. I don't, I, I think you're the same. I don't like to give up on people. I don't like to give up on places. But you know, and I know, you talk to enough people that are like, I, I don't know if I can do the city anymore. And you're awfully invested in it. So imagine someone who's not, who came here just for a couple of years for work or came here as a student. They're like, as soon as I can leave, I'm going to. That I know that crushes you because you kind of believe in what Toronto used to be and what can be again.
4: It absolutely crushes me. I was at a barbecue event last night. There was a guy who works in finance and he said multiple clients have said, okay, we're giving Toronto, you know, 18 months to two years and then we're checking out. Either we're just moving to a bigger city, or we're buying the place in Collingwood, and we'll just do all our work virtual. Only come in when we have to do meetings. It's like, oh, like I hear that so often from so many people now that they're feeling done with this city, and it is just so incredibly sad and frustrating. So we don't want to be done with them because you know people who who have good jobs and who care about family values and a strong community. Those are the people you need to keep Toronto going. At the same time, we don't want to say we're done. with helping people who are troubled. And I feel like all these yeah. injection sites that are not pushing for treatment, Greg, we know the one in Leslieville that's been exposed that the people working in the facility have, have been, uh, one of them has been charged. Uh, there are concerns that there's dealing going on right there inside the space, not just outside. And we I feel like we've given up uh, on these addicts. You know, we're not pushing for treatment. We're not pushing to help people reclaim their lives. So uh, the guy who, who did take a run at us and attack us, you know, those situations, I feel like they're worsening. And who knows what that guy's individual situation was. But I feel like the the, the system, the fact that we're no longer pushing for this kind of stuff to, to get people better, the fact that we no longer have standards and expectations on people out there, I feel like that's, that's contributing to the worsening. So many when I posted my anecdote, so many people said, Yeah, I feel like this stuff is just getting more intense. And I'll tell you, some people might ask, Oh, did you call the police? Of course I didn't call the police because I've done it before in previous situations and the cops show up and go, well, what do you want us to do? You know, they'll go, this would be the fourth time this
1: week. Yeah. Uh,
4: that we t- that we've apprehended this person and they just go back out and they do it again 12 hours later so it's basically a waste of their resources
1: yeah and we need to have a longer conversation about um, addiction and and you know where compassion comes in and where empathy comes in and and the one side of of the debate seems to get accused of having no compassion and no empathy when we've got to find a way with some nuance and some subtle conversation um just to make this work and try and find some middle ground here um, i got to go but i really appreciate you telling your story anthony and, and keep at it. All right. Thanks, Greg. Have a great morning. Toronto today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5 30. We are 640 Toronto. If you go to globalnews.ca, you'll see that there's um a revelation from the Ford government that they've been trying to keep quiet for a good chunk of time. A good chunk of time, as a matter of fact. And Colin DeMello, uh, Queens Park bureau chief, was able to procure those letters. And there's an online piece with both himself and investigative uh, investigative reporter Isaac Callan going through these mandate letters. And Colin DeMello joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. This obviously took some work. What's the what's the baseline of what's revealed and what people can read on the website this morning?
0: Well, the premier in 2018, Greg, would have sent uh, two sets of letters, uh, really, or two sets of instructions to his cabinet ministers. One was a boilerplate letter that every single cabinet minister received. And then there was a a series of instructions, bullet points that would have really, uh, you know, would have been tailored to their ministries, telling them exactly what the Progressive Conservative Party and the Progressive Conservative Premier would have expected out of them. So today's story deals with that boilerplate letter. This really was an ideological letter showing the cabinet ministers what their north star of governing should be, Kind of falling in line with where Premier Doug Ford was in 2018. You might remember Premier Doug Ford was all about the for the people mantra that really helped sweep him into office. And the Premier had said to all of his cabinet ministers that all of their decisions had to go through that lens of is this beneficial for people in Ontario or not. And the Premier had said, quote, for far too long, too many people have been neglected or ignored by previous governments Mm becoming trapped in a bubble of elite interests and the premier said i am determined that will not happen to us Uh, he then goes on to say that he expects the highest ethical standards from all of his cabinet ministers and the premier says that he would be holding his cabinet ministers personally accountable um all of this is interesting because now given this 2023 greenbelt scandal The Ford government is facing the exact accusations that they vowed to reject in 2018, that, you know, select insiders or developers, people with deep pockets have been given an insider access to the Ford government to get uh, a benefit that not a lot of Ontarians would get. And the premier himself uh, never really did hold anyone accountable. Ryan Amato, the chief of staff to uh, then housing minister Steve Clark, resigned of his own accord. The premier never asked for it. Housing Minister mm-hmm. Steve Clark resigned of his own accord. The premier never asked for it. And we haven't really seen concrete steps being taken to show that kind of, uh, accountability. So today's story about the mandate letter shows what they said in 2018 doesn't quite match their actions. In 2023.
1: Colin DeMell is our guest, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, joining us on Toronto Today. They make five um, almost core value commitments, and he notes in the text, uh, in his letter to cabinet ministers, um, I expect every single member of my cabinet will know I've all five commitments by heart. And what struck me, Colin, certainly in a pre- Pandemic world, and the government only had really about 16, 17 months to govern prior to the pandemic. There's issues about cleaning up the hydro mess and cutting hospital wait times, which are still a priority, I think. For this Ford government, scrapping the carbon tax Remember, people would remember putting the stickers on the gas pumps and the gas pump owners and and the federal government says, no, 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 that's illegal. You can't do that. And and a court held that up. It tells you exactly how long ago so much of these sort of mandates, if you will, for how ministers would act was, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, this was a completely different time, right? In Mm -hmm. which. Uh, ideolo- uh, ideological progressive conservatives were able to kind of, um, you know, run wild with, with uh, a lot of the anti-liberal policies that they had. Uh, today, you know, Premier Doug Ford is a completely different person. I mean, he has, has kind of seen that. Uh, working with others, um, primarily Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberals, uh, can net Ontario a lot of investments, and so he protects that relationship quite a bit. In 2018, he and Justin Trudeau were at odds; they were butting heads all the time. I think what's really interesting about this is, you know, the 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 fight compared to the value of what's actually in these letters. When I first obtained them, I, I read through all of them, and I was surprised to find out that there wasn't a lot in here that was so um, controversial that people would have been screeching from the rooftops, right? It, it really led me to question why the government would spend so much money and so much time fighting these things in court. There are some things in these letters, and you'll see over the course of many days, that you know do raise some questions because cabinet ministers were told to explore certain things or, or put... Um, You know, a heavy emphasis on cutting budgets and fiscal restraint. Um, But there isn't anything in here that would clearly say you need to do X to teachers or you need to do, you know, this to the hospital system. Um, so it really the the government will also face questions about why they've been fighting for so long uh, to keep these things public uh, private and they are still private the Supreme Court is still deciding whether or not to release them it's just we happen to get our hands on them first
1: and I think I I think a couple things about what you said one is one of the things and you know in your travels and I know in my travels we come across people who um, either either voted for Doug Ford once twice or they're they're at least politically observing it even if they didn't vote for him and the one thing they tell me all the time, Colin is at times, and it happened during the pandemic, as you well know, they'd make a decision, it didn't seem popular they'd quickly reverse course sometimes it wasn't the next day or the day after that but they they would try to say this is a government that holds people accountable we can't deny rod phillips goes on a trip he's somewhere where he isn't supposed to be over the christmas holidays boom he by the time he gets to the airport he's not the finance minister anymore so that is the interesting part and to your point why spend all this money why spend political capital why tie up the courts in trying to keep these letters uh, away from the public or from consumption for people like us.
0: Yeah, and I think the most interesting thing taking out of this very first letter from the Premier to all his cabinet ministers, it just goes to show you where Premier Doug Ford was in 2018 as well. But he was inexperienced coming into government after 15 years of liberal rule, understanding that people had... Uh, you know, been fed up of what they felt was insider politics and vowed to reject all of that. And, you know, in in doing so, said very clearly to his cabinet ministers that the premier himself would be holding them personally accountable. Right. So the premier himself would be the ultimate watchdog uh, in the Ontario government. And and you fast forward uh, five years later, and it's the premier who's facing a lot of questions about why he hasn't done anything. I mean, this whole Greenbelt scandal, as an example, the premier said, I didn't know anything about the process until it was actually presented to him at a cabinet meeting. Right. He's gone from the person who was uh, kind of the watchdog to the person who's now being surprised by the decisions that are being made within his own government, uh, allegedly. And so it, there, there is a fundamental difference here between the two. Uh, the the government, we don't know what they're going to do next, but um, I don't know if they're going to release all these mandate letters. If they do, there certainly will be more questions about their 2022 mandate letters. Yeah. Which, given some of the decisions like opening up the green belt and more private delivery of public health care, leads you to question exactly what's in those ones, which cover the current mandate.
1: All quite true. You can find it at globalnews.ca. It's uh, remarkable investigative work from Colin DeMello and, of course, Isaac Callan. Thanks very much uh, for this call and we appreciate the time.
0: Thanks for having me. Toronto Today with
1: Greg Brady. Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto. All right, this Doug Ford clip, let's let people hear. It's about 30 seconds. He was on stage at Ford Fest in Kitchener, Lots swirling. He was involved with a protester. Lots of protesters showed up there. But this is the comment this morning about policy in schools that is getting the most attention.
2: Most important is the parents' rights. The parents' rights to listen and make sure they are informed
3: when their children make a decision. They get you know,
2: it's not up to the teachers. It's not up to the school boards to indoctrinate our kids. You know, it's the parents' responsibility to hear what the kids are doing and not the school boards. Oh I can't even figure out what school boards do nowadays,
3: by
1: the way. Okay. <laughs> and people laughed at oh. that per- <laughs> At particular. You won't see him uh, resign as premier and run uh, to be uh, trustee and Ward 9 of the TDSP. I think I think we, Sheep and I would agree on that one. Um, here's what I'd say about this. You and I have feelings about this. We're parents. Lots of parents listen to the show. But here's my thing. The province doesn't seem to want to put legislation on the table. Stephen Lecce was on with us last week. They're, there's no plan right now for a policy, a rule, an age that 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 on this side we do this, on this side we do that. So what's he talking about? If, if you say we're going to, this has to happen, well, you're not, your government doesn't seem to want to do anything about it.
3: Okay. He used the word indoctrinate. I think that's very triggering for a lot of people. I think that was very intentional to use that at Ford Fest in the way that he did. Um, I think it's also a distraction from other bigger issues that he's facing right now. But that being said, uh, I think he's, I mean, he's, he's got a point. There are a lot of parents in this province that are concerned about this. You brought this to my attention over the weekend. There was a woman who tweeted out uh, a picture of uh, a questionnaire that her, stu- her child had been asked by their school. One of the questions on this, on this survey, you know, it's like first week of school, your teacher's trying to get to know you. Yeah. So one of them, one of the questions was, what pronoun would you like me to use in class? In class is all uppercase letters. And the next question is, what pronoun would you like me to use in, in uppercase if I have to contact you at home? So that right there, this mother's issue. This is with, I believe, um, Peel District School Board. Her mm-hmm. child goes there, and her issue is, why are you telling my kid to lie? Why are you teaching my kid to lie? Why are you telling my kid you're going to use a certain different thing when you call home to sort of? I, I, and parents were outraged about this. Uh, and now there's, you know, you know, the one million march for children. That's supposed to. Be I've heard about, about it. T- tell yes. we got a minute.
1: Tell people what what it is. What, what's it supposed to be about?
3: well it's it's in protest of of what's happening in schools and what's happening in terms of gender identity and pronouns and and the focus is it's not about transphobia this will happen this will come out at marches like this absolutely they will be there transphobic people homophobic people will be there yeah. but the issue at uh, the core issue is actually uh, not telling parents regardless of a child's age how they want to be identified at school so if you're seven years old and you say, and you're a boy, and you say, you know what, I want to be called Susie and I want to identify as a girl, your parents will never know about that. And the schools support this, and this is the root key issue here.
1: And I think any questionnaire like this, I'm, I'm looking at it the same way. What To reset it, what pronoun would you like me to use in class? And the in class is capitalized. What pronoun would you like me to use in capitals if I have to contact home? It's way over the line. It's way over the line. And by the way, for all the people, and, and legitimately so, worried about the homes where there could be uh, backlash, where there could be abuse, where there could be violence. Why would you want to out kids in your classroom, in your public education system with a questionnaire? Why would you, You're outing them by asking them that question in the first place. It's none of your business. I had friends who were gay in high school who didn't want to come out in high school because they didn't want to come out in high school, and that was up to them. They would never have answered this quiz. They would ne- they would absolutely have felt put on the spot by answering a survey like this. And that's I know we got a better place to live in in 2023 than in 1987, but Sheba, I'd make the case they weren't answering that question then. They were gonna they were gonna keep what what they thought was private and was about them. Private and about them. It's the best way I can put it.
3: I understand that schools want to showcase that they are a safe space, but I still stand by your safe space. And there are exceptions to this, but your sure. safe space is at home with your parents.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, but again... It's and, pa-
3: a- and parents who don't feel that way, kids who don't feel safe at school or at home... They need their parents need to be educated. There needs to be conversation, communication made that maybe that's how the schools can get yeah, involved. But exactly being secretive that secretive and keeping things from your kids. That's not the way to do it. Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
1: Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto. Yeah, 9-11 um, hit some uh, hit some notes for me. That's for sure. Um, I was on the air in Detroit, Michigan um, at 9 o'clock, and I remember Monday Night Football had been the night before. I was doing sports radio then on WDFN Detroit, and I was in my third year there. I think I started there in late 98, so kind of coming into being there ugh, two and a half, almost three full years, actually. Never quite had something like that, and none of us did, that's for sure. Um, so some of my recollection about it is just – and I don't remember this being the case because it was a pre social media world. And the idea of dancing around and making sure you didn't say the wrong thing was less and it's not on my mind right now, but it was less on people's minds then. And I think that is notable and significant. And you could say, Hey, we should be more cautious about what we say on the air. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But we also should be authentic. And if we have theories and want to put experts on or we're educated ourselves about 9-11 and, and what we think the causes were on that day or the day after, we should not hesitate in saying that either. Okay? So there's a distinction between those two things. There's that distinction. Um here's a clip from the Today Show. And I remember we'd often have the Today Show on in studio. Why we picked that over Good Morning America, or what was airing on CBS? I have no idea, but I'm giving you my lens on this and on a Cana- as a Canadian working in Detroit, watching this at the time. And I'll lay out as well that my sister worked in Manhattan. She worked a lot closer to the Empire State Building than the World Trade Center. And though the distance is, is marginal, like it's only a couple miles in Manhattan to walk between the Empire State Building and... the the World Trade Center, it would still take you forever because it's New York and you're going to hit red lights and it's crowded and cars everywhere. Like it's not close, but I remember when the first plane uh, hit the tower and we were just sort of wondering is this an accident or something? Um, We had that perspective and my instantaneous thought was making sure I got a hold of my sister, which was very difficult to do. Here's the clip from today's show the today show and you'll hear Matt Lauer and you'll hear Katie Kirk. Again, it's a very different time and place for sure, in two thousand one on September eleventh. Hi, can you please tell me what you saw and to give me any information about what's going on there?
2: Yes, I have to tell you, um it's it's quite terrifying. I'm in shock right now. I came out of the subway at Bowling Green. I was heading to work in Battery Park at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and I come out, and it, I saw a big, I heard a boom walked up, and there was a big ball of fire. I'm now looking north at the World Trade Center, and it is the west Twin Tower, if I'm looking north. I'm in Battery Park right now, and you can hear the fire engines and the emergency en- emergency crews behind me, and it is unbelievable when the fire first burst, it was a... Hello? Go, yes, ahead. go ahead. We can hear you. ...in air like I've never seen before, um, and I as you know I used to work in news, I've never seen any fire like this in the air and the pieces of the building were flying down. It looks like it's the it's like the top I can't even tell you, maybe twenty floors. Intense smoke. It's it's horrible. It, I, I, I can't even describe it.
1: So that was before nine o'clock and the morning show at the time uh was called Jamie and Greg. It eventually became Jamie and Brady. Greg was our program director and, and he left for another station and I became I became that Greg, but we decided to call the show Jamie and Brady instead of Jamie and Greg. But Jamie and Greg on at the time held it on till about 9.03, 9.04. I mean, again, you're kind of blowing out a newscast, a sportscast, if you will. We didn't have a new dedicated newscast because they just wanted to give people the most information possible. And you're thinking, how, how are we going on the air and talking about the Detroit Lions game two days ago? How are we talking about Monday Night Football? How are we doing any of this stuff? And I will tell you, from my lens, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't occur to me That it was terrorism with the first plane. I know that sounds ridiculous now, but I just thought, is this someone that's way off course? And I sure didn't think this was something that was internationally based. I didn't think this was something that was bigger than that. And I'll give you my lens as well is I'm in political science class the day that the World Trade Center had the truck driven into um, in 1993. And in essence it was a like seven people were killed and a pregnant woman was killed that was one of the again every every death is a tragedy but i remember that one very distinctly and that's february 93 so the world trade center i used i was thinking that so that's 8 years prior and it is in my brain to think world trade center terrorism world trade center terrorism and given the fact that bill clinton ran his presidency through 1990 well through through 2000 leading up to the Bush Gore election um Osama bin Laden was on his radar there's no question about it he was mentioned countless times several times and by the time the second plane hits again I'm thinking is this an accident but I don't know but I, I like you're very very cautious about it and it's funny only in the sense that it's ironic funny five years later, There was a former New York Yankees pitcher named Corey Lytle. Baseball fans would remember who he was. And he was flying like a small aircraft. And it crashed into an apartment building at 2 in the afternoon on October 11, 2006. And it caused a fire and two people died, including Lytle. But that happens sometimes in New York City. Like, honestly, an amateur uh, pilot loses course, can't land the plane, and can't land in a park or, uh, or on a highway or on a dirt road or on a, on a farm, and he flies into some sort of building. But I'm not using my brain at that particular time based on Brady, click the World Trade Center together, click the fact that this is massively up in the air, and I don't think a small, you know, uh, a, 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 an SR-20 or a Cessna could get up there. This is a jumbo jet flying into the building on purpose. And then here's the Today Show again, the second plane hit.
2: It looks like a movie. I saw a large plane, like a jet, go immediately, headed directly into the World Trade Center. It, it, it just flew into it, into the into the other tower coming from south to north. I watched the plane fly into the World Trade Center. It was a jet. It was a very large plane. It was going fast. It went past the Rich Tower that's being built in Battery Park. It went, flew right past it, almost hit it.
1: And then then you know, and then you are absolutely sure, and you say, America's under attack. And there were two phone calls, because my phone was still working, that I tried to make. One is, I know my sister's going to work in Manhattan. I know she works in Manhattan every day. She's coaching field hockey at night, but she's also working for a magazine company called The Week, and that's near the Empire State Building. So I kind of know my New York geography. I've been there maybe four times at that point in time, maybe four or five more since. And I know the geography, and I know that the Empire State Building, right next to where she works, but is nowhere near the World Trade Center in terms of walking. But I'm also I'm also conscious. Could they target the Empire State Building next? Because then it's on. I mean, this, I think we all had that same reaction. If you're uh, a, a you know a, a genius and you knew right away terrorism, Al Qaeda, first uh, you know first Trade Center building, and you know what's happening, hijacker. Tra- playing First World Trade Center, fantastic, because you knew more than I did at that p- particular point in time. I can't get my sister on the phone, obviously, and I couldn't get her for a good three and a half hours. So you're on the air, and you're waiting for some other shoe to drop in New York City, and you don't know that that's it. And then the Pentagon is attacked. And then, wow. And we switched off at one point. I'm trying to think in my own brain, how did I end up talking to my dad on the phone, who was a history teacher and has dialed in, and you know really we'd sit there and watch endless hours of news together my dad and i we'd watch anything together that that was a documentary we loved sports together but we'd watch sports we'd watch news that was about it he's not watching um, guns and roses be on the music with me but he's or MTV or much music but he's watching that stuff with me and so he didn't have to he just said that's that's osama bin laden that's the taliban that's afghanistan and I remember thinking we're trying to find my sister at the same time in New York. They can't get through on their landline. They Still have the same number. Uh, we can't get through either. And then the Pentagon gets attacked and we couldn't. How did I have that conversation being on the air by about 10, 15, 10, 30? We're taking calls. People are trying to find relatives in New York City. Like I like again, my adrenaline is just flowing, just talking about being on the radio at that time, because at that point, You're responsible for your words and your thoughts, but your brain and your heart are going a million miles a minute. And then you got people coming in, executives are coming in, salespeople, and they're watching you broadcast because they're trying to find out more. Everything just stops, right? Your normal day stops, and you know there isn't going to be a normal day for a good chunk of time. And then uh, probably... We decided we were partners at, at Clear Channel with WLW, which is a massive news station in Cincinnati. We didn't have our own news station. Our company didn't in Detroit, Michigan. But we had this massive station in Cincinnati. And we're like, I I understood it. And I also wanted to make some phone calls uh, and send some emails. But I'm like, it's we're not doing we're not educating people on the air because we don't know. Because we don't know. We we can't, we're not calling up, our, our producer uh, is not calling up somebody at the Pentagon. We can't get through. We can't get through to anybody in New York City. We're best turning this over. So we did, and then I'm able to make phone calls. And my dad and I were talking about it. We found my sister about 2.30, but I didn't like remembering that four hours, four and a half hours, uh, part of which I'm on the air for, so then you can't track anybody down. And I'm not a parent at this point in time. I don't know anybody else in New York City that was terribly worried about. I I might have emailed five or six people. Boom, boom, boom. They would get back to you over the course of time. But you can imagine people's email boxes filling out. So um, an unbelievable day to recall. And for sure, it's something we'll uh, reflect on throughout the show. Uh, 9-11's 22nd anniversary and the September 11th attacks changed everything. Right. I think we can. You, I, I don't know if it changed our political discourse. It changed U.S. foreign policy. It changed how we get on airplanes. I went to a wedding, by the way, two weeks after um, 9-11 in Atlanta. And I felt so bad for one of my really good friends. Because I'm like, does he even know? He probably didn't have near the people coming, but he's like, we don't want to move this date. We want to keep this date. And I thought, never safer to fly on an airplane than a week and a half after 9-11. No way. And 2,996 deaths, all total, with up to 25,000 injured. And again, it just changed everything. Um, And I hope schools are reflecting upon this today. Talk about it. I always say this, Remembrance Day, whatever it is. Uh, truth and reconciliation today. Talk about this in your class. Don't, you don't have to be a history class. You don't have to be a geography class. Talk about it with your class today and, and educate them. I know most of those kids are too young. Educate them anyway. Toronto
0: Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto.